Welcome to Parenting That Kid. My name is Ashley Tolliver. As a mom of twins, one being a highly sensitive child who responds to the world in a non-traditional and sometimes challenging way, I understand the desire to find the golden answer. Maybe there is no golden answer, but there are resources, tips, and tricks we can all use to help us make this uniquely normal parenting journey a little more fun. This podcast is a roadmap to parenting that kid for myself and other parents. If recording my journey as I seek a clear starting point, community, and effort to normalize what sometimes feels abnormal supports at least one parent, then my time is not wasted. And hey, if it doesn't, well, there's documented proof that moms deserve a glass of wine. Cheers! guest is Nicole Hepburn, a high school counselor and educator supporting and providing services to children who need a little bit of extra TLC. Nicole has her Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and a Master in Education focusing on counseling. Nicole's professional career as a counselor and lead counselor throughout Texas and Wyoming has paved the way for extensive professional development and growth, ranging from trainer consultant for bullying prevention supporting military children through school transitions, recognizing and reporting child abuse, and multi-tiered system of support to promote student social, emotional, and behavior well-beings, Nicole is equipped to be sturdy support for a multitude of children. Long before Nicole entered the professional world, the extra care and love for those who do not fit in the box was instilled in her. A sister to a deaf sibling and a mother to a child on the gifted and talented scale, Nicole has a personal connection and desire behind the work that she does. I could go on, but we don't have enough time for that. Wow, Nicole, your list of professional development and your personal history is immense. You clearly have a passion for not only helping children, but setting them up for an easier life path. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I really like to seek out different kinds of professional development because I've often learned that, you know, when we go and learn about one thing, you're like, wow, I can really take this and apply it to something and I didn't even think I was going to be able to use this. <laughs> and I just feel the more the more things you go to, you just learn all these little bits and pieces that you can really use to help kids as a whole. Or, you know, you learn something from one area, you're like, this is a great idea for this kid or that's a great idea for that kid. And so I really like to just learn about all sorts of different things. And I've And just through different jobs I've had have become very familiar with like anti-bullying policies in the United States and obviously military transitions. I used to work next to an Air Force base, so that was really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So my question that I love to start with is just what clues do parents have at home? Because it starts at home before any child comes to see you, and parents might not even see that it's starting at home. But what clues do parents have at home that would make them consider even bringing a child to you or you're on, they're on the lookout for something that a child needs extra attention to that you are a resource for? Mm-hmm. So um, I work with high schoolers, but I obviously know the gamut of elementary and sometimes even preschool through high school. Um, I was trained that way. Um, I think one of the biggest things that parents can do, and it's hard as a parent to sit there and look at your kid and wonder, you know, is this normal? Is this not normal? But I think one of the best things parents can do is just ask 
questions, especially, so I am a school counselor predominantly. Um, I am licensed as a private, or licensed as a professional counselor. So I could do private therapy, but I have chosen to focus on school. But school counselors are huge resources to just get your foot in the door of questions. Um, and pretty much anyone who works with kids are usually willing to answer questions. And so I think one of the be best things you can do as a parent, if something doesn't feel right, or you're just kind of curious even, ask that question, is this normal? Is this not normal? Developmentally, is this where my kids should be? I mean, I have studied developmental you know, processes since I was 17 years old in my first psychology class in college. And even having a kid, you know, and I have all this background, there was times, you know, I was calling my own mom going, is this normal? Should my child be doing this? Um, so I think one of the biggest things is just asking those questions. And I think that's hard as a parent because we go, we want so much for our kid to be that, you know, quote unquote normal. And, you know, no kid is normal. I've decided we all have our things. And just, but just asking those questions, you know, and knowing kind of developmentally where your kids should be um, is important, but also realizing not every kid follows that developmental process right. to a T, you know, there, there's wiggle room there, but I think, you know, just knowing those um, processes that kids should be going through, but also taking that with that grain, very large grain of salt, knowing your kid might not reach that um, milestone at the same time every other kid is. So then how do people come to you and see you if they feel like their child needs to be evaluated or they've been told their child needs to be seen by you? How does that come about in the public school system? Um, I'm sure that differs state to state, but on general, is there, they yeah. don't just knock on your door and say, hey, check my child out. <laughs> so probably a little bit of what you're leading into is, um, and I, I hear it all the time and I see it all the time where parents will come in and say, my doctor told me I, my kid needs an IEP or a 504. So I guess backing, backing up even for that, like how does, as a school counselor, um, most school counselors have an open door policy of, if you have a question, come ask them. If you want to see them, come see them. You know, Good. we are very open like that as compared to maybe, you know, someone in the private sector where you're going to have to make an appointment. Mm -hmm. Your school counselors, um, if you have a student that is even in preschool tied to a public school, your school counselors are there to be an advocate for you and um, connect you to resources. But going back to that, my doctor told me or so-and-so <laughs> told me, I get yeah. a lot of so-and-so told me my kids should be on an IEP or a 504. And like you said, this, this can look very different state to state, um, depending on the state you're in. However, on the IEP side, each school will maybe have their own process on of how you go through that evaluation process. But by general rule of thumb, if a parent requests that testing, the school has to comply. Okay. Um, and there is a whole legal side to that that I am yeah. <laughs> I can't entirely speak on, but just know that as a parent, you have the right to ask for that. Okay. Um, now, that doesn't mean they're going to say your kid qualifies by any means, but if you ask for that evaluation, the school does have to do the evaluation. Um, pretty much the same thing with a 504, which in kind of the latest 
bands of terms, a 504 is a little bit smaller scale of an IEP and it has different resources. They're funded very differently. Schools are not funded for 504s. Now, for example, the school I currently work at, we have a 504 coordinator, but that is a position our school has decided to create based on the amount of 504s we have. IEP comes from special education, which they have different funding that allows them to support kids in a different way. So whether that's that, stu um, that student needs someone one-on-one -on -one with them all throughout the day, that student needs speech therapy or occupational therapy, that's where that money comes from is from the special ed. Um, which that would mean they're on an IEP, which means an individual education plan, which means there's supports in place that is individualized for that student to help them out in whatever whatever that looks like for that student within the within reason in a school. So um, there's different routes, and sometimes you you may choose to have your kid on a, on an IEP, and you can always refuse an IEP essentially or special ed services. And you might have your own reasons for doing that, or you might have your own reasons for wanting them on one. So, and most states or school districts um, will have private community organizations that will advocate for you as the parent and kind of help walk, walk alongside you and what that looks like. Hmm. Now, I came from Wyoming, so we had, it was really great, it was an advocacy service, and they would kind of come and talk to the parents, and they would come to the meetings with the parents, because, um, like me, I'm a school counselor. I live in the education world, so when I go into an IAP or a 504 meeting, I very much know what that lingo is. I know what that conversation is going to look like on our side, mm -hmm. but, you know, I sit there and look at the parent side of that, and you know, there are terms being thrown at you, there's data being thrown at you, and you don't always know what that means, or even what to ask for. And so there are agencies that will come alongside of you as the parent and go into that school with you and be like, this is, this is what this kid should receive. Because sometimes as the parent, you don't always know what you should be asking for. Right. Um, and they're just different states. And I'm sure communities have different versions of those. I came from Wyoming, we had great ones like they would come to the meetings with the parents to be like, these are some things you could ask for. This is what this means when they're telling you this. And I just thought that was really helpful because, like I said, as educators, we tend to speak in educator language and we forget that the parent doesn't always know what we're talking about. And it can be, it can be very overwhelming when we're throwing all this information at a parent and they don't necessarily always understand what, what all that means to them or to their student. Absolutely. Do you know how somebody would find that? I know you said it's different for each state. Are they just Googling IEP support? Um, is there a um, nationwide list? You know, I don't know if there is. Um, that would be interesting to find out though. I would, I would assume that you could probably just, that's something you could Google, Google and something would come up. Right. Um, well, maybe at their now, school, whether that would be they would probably have an answer to that yeah. too. So maybe going to the school and saying, I know there's a support system out there. How do I find this one? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's really, and I, I think it's, no an, yeah, and it's helpful. And like I said, you know, parents could have different reasons for choosing to put their kid on um, an IEP or not. Like, so for example, to my daughter, um, she, um, when we were in, when we were, when she was in second grade, <laughs> 
they came back and said, you know, she needs to be on an IEP for speech. And I was just very curious about that because obviously she'd made it to second grade and no one had ever commented on her speech before. But like you kind of said, I, I've, I've been in different states. So my daughter spent a lot of her language learning years in Texas. And so when we moved to Wyoming, it was more obvious in Wyoming that she was not pronouncing her R's well. And so they wanted to put her on an IEP. Having come from, coming from the education system, as much as we like to say that IEPs don't follow the kids and they are confidential and, you know, no one would ever judge a kid mm -hmm. for being on an IEP. I've seen it and I'm, I'm, you know, I just have to say I'm sad to see it happen because, like I said, I have a sister who grew up on an IEP and she's in a very extremely smart um, kid, but people thought she didn't deserve to be in the classroom because she was on an IEP mm. and because she was deaf, like she should be in that classroom over there. So I just chose kind of for my own personal reasons, um, knowing that my daughter's speech issue was not that big. I sought out private services mm. instead of putting her on an IEP. Also, IEPs are so many meetings and same with the 504s. So when a kid really needs those services, they are totally worth it. But I knew my daughter's issue wasn't that big. So I just thought to seek that out privately rather than through the school, just because I also didn't want to spend the time going to meetings <laughs> over and over. So when a child is put on IEP, this is a family, well, not maybe siblings, but this is a family event. The parents show up to meetings and they're probably talking yep. to multiple <laughs> professionals of different sorts and... Yeah, I mean, there's so, so much can go into one, and sometimes they're really simple, and um, sometimes it's a cut and dry issue, you know, like, we're going to do these services for this disorder or this disability or whatever they're looking at, and, you know, it's really easy, and there's, you know, these are the services we could provide. Sometimes they're very complicated, depending on what's going on with the student. You know, I've been to certain IEPs, but, you know, there's 10 people in the room, wow. you know, there's therapists, there's, you know, counseling therapists, there's occupational therapists, there's physical therapists, there's, um, you know, parents, there's tutors in the room, you know, pretty much any information that any person who has information on that student sometimes is at these meetings. So they can be very overwhelming for parents and for students. The older the kids get, I would definitely advocate um, as your student grows, that they attend the meetings and that, so that they learn to advocate for themselves and what they need. I work predominantly with high school students. And so I really try to encourage that because obviously as a high school counselor, one of our goals and my goal as a parent is, you know, if this student goes off to college or to whatever they're going to do post high school, that, you know, they can advocate for themselves and what they need. And same with 504s. Um, 504s are going to be a meeting at least once a year to talk about um, any changes that need to happen with accommodations and um, services that are being provided to the student. So is, the, um, is your work, and then I would assume IEP because they seem to intertwine, is your work directly related to just schoolwork or are we talking about everything in this child's life, speech outside of school uh, and movement and... Um, I would say emotion. Like what I do? Yeah, yes, what you do, so, and then incongruent with the IEP. Yeah. So depending on the school, the school counselor 
is involved in IEPs on different levels. Okay. So a lot of times counseling can be assigned or not assigned is could be a part of an IEP, but they usually have their own counselors that those students will see. Okay. I'm usually, if I'm going to an IEP, I'm usually just there as an advocate for the student. Fabulous. And also just so that they know that I am a resource for them. And depending on the student, I may or may not even go to the meeting if it, if it is a student I don't know. I'm not always involved in those meetings, once again, depending on the school. 504s tend to be more related to the school counselors. Every district I've been in, school counselors are more involved with the 504s than necessarily the IEPs. And that really just comes from funding. But a lot of times, school counselors are the first person that parents are talking to in the school when they have concerns Mm -hmm. about their kids. So a lot of times, you know, say I'm a parent and I, you know, think my kid has some kind of processing disorder or, um, you know, they're, you know, I'm, they're just not understanding school the way I think they should be understanding school or maybe they're just not performing or understanding at a high level. So usually the first person people are talking to is the school counselor. You know, and like I said, I work predominantly with high schoolers and it's amazing to me and it saddens me how many times we're still making referrals to special education at the high school level because that tells me up until this point, possibly something very important was missed with this child. Right. That, you know, no one saw this up until this point, which there there could be reasons for that. You know, sometimes students are able to cope and, you know, kind of figure things out and then they get to high school or things are a little bit harder and tougher. And then it's like an issue becomes more apparent than, you know, it may have been in the younger years. But often school counselors are really kind of the first connection to resources, even at the school for parents. So if you are, you know, dealing with something with your student or concerned about something with your kid, school counselors you know, they're a great resource and they, if they don't have the answer, they're going to point you to who does and the resources of who can help you, even um, in the community a lot of times. So do you find that you have more parents coming to you than students, being that you're having high schoolers? Uh, So definitely see way more students. However, (laughs) I get so many, yes, that, I mean, that is my, that is my joy and love of life. Um, I always joke that if I leave this job, it will not be because of students. It will be because <laughs> of adults. Right. Um, but I have come to learn over the course of doing this job, a lot of times when parents are reaching out to me with concerns, it's for multiple reasons. But a lot of times they just want to know what their, what their child is going through is normal. Mm-hmm. And sometimes me as the counselor and me as kind of the expert, in certain levels of development, I have to tell them that they're overly concerned and what their kid is doing is normal and and is age appropriate and developmentally appropriate. And and I think that just comes from, you know, all this information that we're inundated with. And then we sit there and go, is our kid doing this? Is our kid not doing this? But um, yeah, predominantly, I, I work with mostly students and kids. And I, I do anything from just checking in with them to ask them how their day was to 
I'm evaluating them for suicidal ideation to they're just having a bad day and need to talk to somebody to, you know, how do we work through an anxiety attack? How do we work through a panic attack? Just all sorts of things. You know, how do we, how do we get organized so that we're doing better in school? I get to wear multiple hats multiple times a day. Um, and sometimes a student will come in just to talk about something easy. And then we end up talking for an hour about a lot of different things um, emotionally, you know, things that are going on at home. So school counselors really just in general kind of do a lot. And, and most people don't realize that school counselors are very heavily trained in mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a LPC, so I'm a licensed professional counselor. But I mean, that was the difference of two classes that I took. Right. So up until that point, I mean, most of my classes were the same as a private therapist that you would see out in the community you know, I just chose basically to take two extra classes to get dual license Mm -hmm. um, in both school counseling and mental health. And I don't think people know that about their school counselors. And I think that's important for parents to know, because I think parents don't realize everything a school counselor can really help their child with. Yeah, you're actually making me think about my school counselor. And I don't, (laughs) I don't know if I ever saw her unless it was mandated. But I didn't know anything yep. about her in that sense. I mean, she was just over in that hall somewhere. <laughs> so Absolutely. do you have ways that you support the whole family? If, you know, the child is struggling at home or the parents are seeing things, as a teenager, it's really difficult to find the confidence in yourself to come up to an adult and say, this is what I'm going through. But as parents, we see it and we want to reach yeah. out, right? We want to support our children. So do you have ways that you reach or that you work with the whole family um, and then tools and stuff that they can go home and try to implement to make life a little bit smoother for them? So a lot of times I will encourage parents if they are concerned about their kids to, to let me kind of be that outside support to their mm. student. There's a lot of times I'm talking with the kids, I'm talking with the parents. I might be in the room and have the parents come in and we're going to talk as a group. Sometimes I will talk with just the parents if we're dealing with a certain issue. My goal is always going to be to do what's best for the child. Mm -hmm. And especially at the high school age, developmentally, our, our, our kids at the high school age, the teenagers, friends become way more important (laughs) than parents, um, which is really hard for parents. To deal with. And so sometimes when their kid is going through stuff, you know, I will be, I will tell parents, if your student will come and talk to me, if your kid will come and talk to me, let that happen because at least they are talking to one adult. Mm -hmm. If I have any major concerns, you will be my first phone call. But the problem is sometimes parents want to know everything that I may have talked (laughs) talked (laughs) about with their kids. Yes. But my goal is to be like, you know, hey, your kid's really struggling with some stuff, maybe some anxiety. This is what you can do at home to support your kid. This is what we can do at school to support your kid. Mm -hmm. You know, here are some things I recommend. We're actually working here at the school I'm currently at on um, doing a book study so that and starting to do them more frequently so that if we find books that we like, we can recommend those to parents because I think that's one of the hardest things about probably my job is sometimes when you, 
I'm not sure if this is the right phrase to use, but kind of parenting the parents. But I look at it more just of sometimes giving advice and mm-hmm. that's, that's hard, especially when parents um, right now are older than me and I'm trying <laughs> to tell them kind of, maybe this would be a good idea or maybe you guys should try this. But I think, um, you know, that's when I just have to rem- remember, you know, like I've been trained in this, you know, I might have information that they just don't know. And I think every parent out there, for the most part, is just doing the best they can. There aren't right or wrong answers a lot of the time. You know, we're all just trying to survive, you know, and getting getting our kids to be an independent adults someday. Um, and that's really what I see is how can I best support, you know, your student to, you know, end up being the best student they can be, the best kid that they can be. How can I support you as a family, as a parent? really dealing with the whole picture. And I, I really truly believe that, you know, if we can get kids to a good place, they're going to, they're going to do better in all areas of their life. And, you know, having parents walk alongside you. parents are the kids biggest advocates sometimes and schools forget that I think very often. Yeah. Well, if a mother or father is struggling with their little one, well, they're not little, but they are little until they move out of your house. Um, struggling yes, they are with always their, little. Right, with their babies. Do you find that you have tools and resources that you suggest for them, even parenting books or other counselors maybe that the, they should be seeing outside of school, something for them to grasp onto? Because I think you said, you said it correctly when parents just want to know. Whether you've said this is between me and the student, they just want to know. And I yeah. think sometimes having a tool or a, something as a parent to lean into kind of gives you that strength to kind of support a child who you might just be really struggling with at that moment in time. Do you have any suggestions, books, blogs? So (laughs) um, I think one of the most important things is just finding time to be able to have conversations with your kids. You know, and one thing I was told a long time ago, and I've been told it many times, you know, if if your kids can't tell you stuff when they're little, they're not going to tell you the big stuff when they're older. Hmm. Um, so I think just, you know, making time to really talk to your kid and be there for your kid. And it's, it's hard. We are so distracted as adults sometimes that we really aren't tuned in to our kids. Sometimes sometimes we're overly tuned into them. And I think just having that safe place with your own kids and probably one of the best things, especially as your kids get older is kids are so scared of what their parents are going to think. Yeah. that they often will lie and hide things from their parents because they're just so, just so scared. And I think just creating that safe place of being like, you know, whatever you say, we're, we'll deal with it, we'll get through it, you know, because a lot of times students are struggling with stuff that, that's really big, really big, and maybe their parents don't even know, or maybe their parents know and don't know what it is, but they're just having that conversation. So, one thing I do like to tell, especially as your kids start entering those teenage years and conversations, you know, can get awkward, um, is have conversations in the car um, because you have a captive audience. They're not going anywhere while you're driving and you are driving. So neither, you don't have to look at them and they don't have to look at you. <laughs> and advice. that is one of the, it is because sometimes when, when they know that you're not looking at them, so you're not going to be, you know, and they're not looking at you, so they can't really judge your reaction. It's a great time to have have some of those conversations that maybe are just a little bit harder harder to have. Um, another 
suggestion just because, I mean, we deal with so many kids that have that such anxiety um, and we're really struggling with some things. And I really just suggest getting your kids out and exercising with them. Mm-hmm. Part of my history is I actually had an, a pretty significant eating disorder when I was in high school. And my counselor, part of my homework from my counselor when I was, was going through therapy was to go on walks mm-hmm. every day with my parents. And just even if it was just walk around the block one time, and it wasn't until many years later that I realized she was kind of sneaky there. Because for one, getting getting exercise helps our mental health so much. And I just, I don't think people realize, fully realize how impactful exercise can be on our emotional health, our physical health, just our whole body. But also, you know, if you're taking a walk and you're walking the dog and you're with your parents, chances are you're going to start talking to mm-hmm. each other. Um, so it's just, it's a great time to be outside, be in nature and, you know, have conversations and have that one-on-one time or family time, um, with your kids. That's so good. That is so good. And it's true. You find yourself opening up because it's natural. (laughs) It just comes and flows. How about, um, children that you've seen, you're in the public school system. So you have records of them from way back from when they were little and followed their records as they've grown up. Do you kind of have a plan in place when these kids start to come into high school? Um, if they've struggled, if these have been kids that are continuously struggling at home or struggling at school, do you guys have a plan set for them? I know a lot of parents worry going into high school, things are going to change. Um, how do mm-hmm. parents deal with that? I think just knowing that um, the plan is going to change when they get to high school. I actually have had to deal with plans coming up to the high school and in all honesty, they're not realistic for the high school setting and working with the students and the kids and parents to get a plan that's going to be successful for them in high school. Another thing is if a kid comes with a plan, that's really awesome. And it's so helpful. It's so helpful sometimes to have that history. I think one of the best things, though, parents can do is decide which history is shared and have that conversation with your kids as they get older. Because sometimes kids, if they've maybe struggled academically from elementary school to middle school, when they get to middle school, they do great. And I think sometimes it's because they get to be that new person here mm-hmm. and they get new resources and they get new adults in their life. And so I think sometimes parents can give too much information. And then I've, I've just, I've seen in different schools I've been in where a parent will share information with the teachers. And then I feel like those teachers already have an idea of who that student is going to be and how they're going to act. So I would just say, when you share information, share what's going on with your kids, but share positive things too, because sometimes I think parents accidentally paint their kid in a very negative light and kids have things that they are great at. It, it doesn't matter what that kid is dealing with. All kids have things that they are good at and they have areas where they're going to shine and, you know, they're amazing. Like I sit there and look at my niece, you know, who definitely struggles with some things speech wise, but that girl can put together a puzzle, like nobody's (laughs) business. And I have, like, I have a student who, like, my daughter is gifted and talented and definitely could not put together a puzzle like my niece does. 
And I mean, her brain just works like that. And I yeah. think a lot of times parents are going to come in and say, my student struggles with X, Y, and Z, but they don't go like, but they can do a Rubik's cube in 10 seconds, you know? And so I think we get these preconceived notions of these kids and go, oh, it's going to be such a struggle with this kid. So I think just as a parent, remember that your kid has amazing things that they are amazing at and they have things that they are good at and they're going to shine. You know, I have the GT kid who hates to read. Um, and so, you know, academically, she's the kid that a lot of teachers love to have. But if I sat there and go, if you knew that she really doesn't read every night for 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, would you still think the same of her? Right. Um, because she really is that kid. We, we barter, we bribe, yep. I try everything under the sun, you know, to get her to read. And I think that's, you know, also self-reflecting there of, you know, hey, I'm this school counselor, I'm a professional, and I still don't have the answer on how to get a kid to read for 20 <laughs> minutes every day. So knowing your kid, knowing what's best for them, you know, yeah. it's not always just the easy answer. And I think a lot of stuff you do is just going to be trial and error as a parent, as a professional, and just know that not everyone has every answer. Because like I said, I'm, you know, school counselor, I feel like I'm pretty darn good at my job. But then I struggle to get my child to read for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's even harder when it's your own child who just kind of refuses oh, everything right then and there that mom's saying. I love that yeah. you said that because recognizing that your kid, your kid might be the one that's struggling or might have been the one that's struggling. Um, but mm -hmm. the positives and the growth that your kid has um, overcome is just pretty amazing to me. And then not typecasting your child. You know, maybe they did struggle with yeah. X, Y, and Z. But that might not be the case, and let's give that kid a chance prior mm -hmm. to bringing this up. And if it comes up again, then we'll, we'll work with the teacher and the professionals yep. around us. Do you work with other professionals yep, in the school or out of the school? So if a child is having a therapy session somewhere else or maybe occupational or physical or speech, do you Ab work with their direct line of resource out of the school? Absolutely. So, I mean, and obviously this once again, looks different for every school and every organization you could possibly be involved in. However, parents, it's, it's interesting to me because parents are often very hesitant to sign releases of information. And I understand that, that hesitation sometimes that you don't want the school to know about this information. However, even if you keep the school out of it, if you can connect as many people that are working with your kid with each other, your results are going to be so much better. I can't count the number of times we didn't know that, you know, this was going on with a student or that they were receiving services outside of school. And then once we knew that and we got that information and we're like, we can take what they're implementing out there and we can add that to what they're doing here. Yes. We just need to be able to talk to each other. So as you are getting services for your kids and those organizations are asking you for release of information, I think we just kind of worry about that. And we're like, Ooh, I don't know if I want people knowing this about my kid, or I don't know if I want all these different, you know, people knowing about this, but I would just say the more you can get the people who are involved in your children's life talking to each other, you're going to see, you're just going to see a wealth of knowledge being shared because occupational therapists might be seeing something that you're not seeing at school or the school might see, be seeing something that you're not seeing, you know, at occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. And when those two talk, you might have that aha moment of, oh, if we just did this here or this there, 
you know, we can really help this child in a whole different way or better. We can be, you know, reinforcing these skills at school. Um, you know, back to my child when she was doing speech, you know, and they kind of told me what she was struggling with. You know, I just emailed the teacher and said, hey, you know, if she's starting to do this, just remind her to do a strong R. And that's all she needed, you know, but had I never told the teacher that, right, you know, they wouldn't know that information. And so I just think the more times the people in your kids' lives, if they're talking to each other, it's just going to benefit your child. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I think it's also a community or not a community, but it's a group effort. <laughs> this raising a child is not an yeah. individual um, task. I mean, you said you were a single mom and I was raised by a single mother, but boy, all the people around you are what supporting you to help raise this little one. And we all have our special areas that we focus on. And if we could just be surrounded by a whole bunch of those, wow, that'd be really cool. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And I would say, oh, yeah, go no, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, being a single parent, you know, you touch, touch on that. Yeah, I have been a single parent for from day one, but most of the time I don't feel like a single parent because, you know, I've always surrounded myself with people and family who can help me. Um, and I think surrounding yourself with people who can help you is huge, um, especially, you know, when you have a kid that may fall out of the norm and just cause a little more stress in your life for whatever reason, having, you know, having those people that you can rely on and talk to and cry to and, you know, get through that with. Uh, my mom always talked about, you know, when, when she found out about my sister being deaf, how she was really told, you know, you're, you're grieving the loss of one child, but you're getting a new child mm -hmm. um, because you really have all these hopes and kind of dreams and thoughts in your head of, this life for this kid and then maybe you find out something like that and that all shifts you know you have to have people that you can talk to about that you know that that's huge you know anytime you find out something that big about you know your child mm -hmm. you know you love them so much and you really have to have those people that you know you can talk to you can try, cry to you can ask questions of and just surrounding yourself with those resources and positive people and you know, people that can be your village. Do you find that you become the village pretty fast when, <laughs> when a mother walks in your door? I like to think that I am. Um, <laughs> I always, <laughs> you know, um, I always want to be there for parents um, just because I, I'm, I'm a parent, you know, I right. know what it's like. Um, and I also think it's important to, to use the resources you have. You know, so many people out there are willing to help you, are willing to, you know, give you advice or, you know, talk to your kid or do this. And I think just knowing that those resources are there and that people are willing to help you and answer questions. And I think anyone who works with kids works with kids for a reason and they have big hearts and they, you know, they want to be supportive of the kids and they want to be supportive of the parents. But sometimes it's going to just take a question or two. Wow. Thank you. All right. So do you have three takeaways? If somebody was listening and said, okay, what three tips or advice does she have for me or something I can implement? Do you have any, I have a lot that you just said, but I want to know maybe you <laughs> <in your> mind. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have three exactly, but I would just say, you know, ask, ask questions and know that there are answers out there. There are resources out there. There are people that are 
willing to walk alongside you in this lovely world of parenting and just, you know, go with your gut when you need to ask those questions that you need to know that there is no right or wrong answer. I think that is the biggest thing I've ever learned about parenting is there is no right or wrong answer. What works for one kid is not going to work for another kid. And just know that, you know, it's important to love your kid no matter what. Mm, very much. So you also said, and I ju it just hits me so hard now, I can't wait to actually go pick up my kiddos, to go on a walk with your kids and just listen. We take our dog on a walk yep. every night, and whether it's on their bikes or they're just walking next to me, but I hear a little chitter-chatter between the two of them. I have five-year-old twins, so I hear a little chitter-chatter between the two of them and what's happening throughout the day, and I find out more information on that walk than I probably would if I just sat them down and said, how was your day? Because they would just say, yep. it was a day. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. I used to pick up my daughter from school, and uh, just my work schedule has changed, so I don't get to do that anymore. And I just feel so much more disconnected from her life right now than I was before. And so we have started going on walks at night yeah. because I was like, I, I need that 20 minutes I lost. Yeah. Even though it was only 20 minutes, that car ride home, um, you know, just to have that one-on-one -on -one time with your kids where you're not distracted by a phone, you're not distracted by the TV or music or whatever is going on in your lives or, you know, just the busyness of the house where you can go in your room and they're in a different room, you know, you're, you're together. I'm also reading this book right now. I haven't gotten super far into it, but I love the concept of it. And it's called the last child in the woods. And I think this goes back to the walking outside. It's just talking about the kids getting out in nature mm -hmm. and how important that is. Um, he, he kind of coined this term nature deficit disorder huh. and just how kids are not getting out and in nature. And I'll actually send you this video uh, because I was talking about that. My daughter got kind of interested in why kids aren't spending time outside anymore. Mm -hmm. And she did a YouTube video that is really cool <laughs> because she is talking over this video that she made on the importance of being active because she sees it with her own friends. She is a very active kid yeah. and her friends are, I'd rather, you know, play inside and right. just play on her phones and she wants to be outside. And yeah. I just look at, at kids her age that aren't getting outside. And so I think this, the going on walks and just how important nature is. I can't think of anyone who has spent time out in nature that goes, that was really a waste of my time. And I don't feel better having done that. I think, you know, I mean, you always hear people talk about the beach and just like how connected you feel or how um, spiritual you might feel there. Like there's just something about being outside and people often say that about the beach. And I kind of wondered why that was, but when I was reflecting, I was like, that's probably for some people, the largest amount of time they are spending outside really connected to the earth and to the ground right. when and they go with nature is when they go on vacation to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. But I just think that's important. Um, and so I would say if you can get out in nature with your kid, whether that's a, you know, five minute walk around the block, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel blessed that um, the area we're living in in Austin right now is just so, so green and there's trees everywhere and, mm -hmm. I love that you can walk down a trail and kind of feel like you're in a little mini jungle sometimes <laughs> and just how important escape. that is for, yeah, for kids to get out there and experience that. 
Mm, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. It is. My kids are different children when they spend their day outside versus inside. It's just a whole different mm -hmm. world. Um, well, thank you so much. You have so much knowledge. I, I learned, I learned so much from you today and awesome. I, yeah, I really hope that, um, I hope that somebody else can find some tips from what you shared and just thank you so much for saying yes to joining me on this. Thanks for listening to Parenting That Kid. If you like what you heard, be sure to head over to parentingthatkid.com and subscribe for early release podcasts, blogs, and a chance to have your questions presented to the professionals. Oh, and hey, imperfect parent. I know parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. You're rocking this parenting world. Until next time. <laughs>